The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 178 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for checking in with us again this week. We've got a great show for you. Uh, Before we get into this week's episode, I want to thank uh, some of our listeners who this last week have sent suggestions for guests. And uh, based on the suggestions they've given, a few of them, we've actually been able to set up recording for them. And we really appreciate it. We want to interview the guests that you want to hear. And uh, just so appreciate you reaching out and letting us know. You can send us an email to guest at latterdaylives.com. Or the easiest way sometimes you can reach out on Facebook or Instagram. Let us know who they are, kind of what their story is. And then also, if you have contact info for them, that is even more helpful. So thank you so much. Uh, This week on the show, my guest, we've got a big star on the show, Wayne Burton, uh, who's just an incredible musician. He's got several albums and uh, has toured all over the place, has worked with so many incredible performers. It was so fun to sit down and talk to Wayne and to get to know him. I know so many of you are huge Wayne Burton fans, so you'll get to hear his entire backstory. And coming up uh, this week in my Latter-day Life, Building the Kingdom, even at 8 a.m. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today here on the Latter-day Lives podcast, my guest is a very well-known, well-respected, and remarkably talented musician, Wayne Burton. Welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Glad to be here. Well, first of all, before we jump into your life story, tell us where you're recording from. Where I'm recording from, I'm back where I began. Uh, I grew up in a little town called Fort McLeod in southern Alberta, Canada. And uh, I live in a city called Lethbridge, which is fairly close to there. And Mm. uh, started out in this area, and I've been different places and come back again and settled in only 30 minutes from where my parents raised me. That's not bad. So you are Canadian through and through primarily. I am. I am. That's awesome. (laughs) Sure. Fantastic. Well, tell us a little bit about uh, your life growing up. Were you raised in the church? Yeah, I was uh, raised in a family with both parents being members of the church. And um, my dad was a convert to the church when he was in his early 30s. And uh, not long after, married my mom. And I'm the the last of five children. And I uh, just grew up on the in the prairies of southern Alberta. It's uh, we got mountains off in the distance. And so it's a it's a nice area kind of with a diverse landscape and a nice place to be raised. Alberta has a lot of similar features to Utah, if I'm not mistaken. There's some open land, there's uh, some mountains, uh, kind of, there's, you got snow. Is that, uh, does that sound about right? Yeah, there are a lot of similarities and I, uh, we might get to later about serving my mission, but I served in Utah and, and I'd always have people asking, you know, what's it like where you're from? And, and, you know, they'd even approach it from a really like, wow, you're from this other country that's so different perspective. <laughs> and then 
I would say, well, really, we're pretty similar. And, and I mean, even the weather patterns are very similar. I know that it's it's warmer in Utah when it gets hot. It's a lot hotter than it is in Alberta. But but we can expect pretty similar weather patterns. We get winter, of course, and uh, we love to ski, and that's in common as well. So, yeah, we're we're literally straight north of Utah. If you take the I-15 and you stay on that highway going north, you'll go through my city on the Canada side. That's so awesome. It's not, not that different or that far, really. So what were you into when you were a kid? Man, uh, you know, a lot of different things, you know, causing mischief was was a big one. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, once I kind of got into to middle school and and uh, started kind of gravitating to, to my interests, probably the biggest thing was actually uh, BMX. And uh, not not racing, but actually freestyle BMX. So, you know, doing the tricks, standing on the handlebars, doing the spins and all that kind of stuff. That and, is uh, really cool. They just had that on the Olympics uh, for the first time officially this week. And yeah. so uh, that was pretty cool. But I maybe I was a pioneer in, in it back in the day. But yeah, <laughs> I did, did a lot of biking. That is really awesome. When so obviously a big part of what we're going to talk about is you are a very well-known uh, singer songwriter. Uh, when did that begin? Did that begin when you were young? You know, it, kind of in different steps. So uh, my mom told me that when I was three, I was picking out melodies on the piano. And so that's kind of where the musical stuff started by ear. Um, when I was maybe 11 or 12, I started writing songs really. Uh, I mean, I would kind of laugh at them now from a from a songwriting perspective, but I, I kind of started was experimenting with it then, and then uh, love songs during my my teenage years. I just I was a bit of a sap back then, <laughs> <laughs> and then the church music kind of started uh, just before my mission. I I was uh, my first church song was probably I was about nineteen when I wrote it. My my best friend was leaving on his mission, and I. I shared it at his mission farewell and then just kind of blossomed from there. So it, it's gone through a lot of different uh, phases and matured as I've gone, but uh, music started really early for me. My mom was a, a piano teacher and a big influence um, musically for me. I, I'm, I'm sure I inherited some of my musical um, leanings from both parents, but, but certainly my mom was a, got me going on the piano and gave me a little nudge along so, the way. So you're riding BMX bikes, you're playing piano. How did, uh, how did the piano like work with you socially? Was it, uh, did you use it to, we've, we've had a lot of guests on who have said, Oh yeah, I used my talents to, to impress girls. And that was one of the main reasons oh, I pursued. That's it. totally true. <laughs> yeah, I definitely. Uh, I, I did. Once, you know, I was certainly the, the music and the BMX stuff was overlapping for a few years, but uh, with the music, you know, I love to get together and sing duets with a lot of girls. Um, and of course, these were a lot of the songs I was writing were love songs. Um, and when I met my wife, we, we were getting more serious. And actually at one point I, I stopped singing songs at her plate at her house where she lived with her parents, because I thought, you know, I don't want to like somehow just woo her with my music. And then somehow she's realizes that there's more to me that wasn't what she <laughs> thought. So I, I kind of parked the music a little bit just to kind of um, 
make sure she liked me for other reasons. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really solid plan. So it worked. Uh, you get done with high school. Do you remember? Was it before? Was it before your mission? That what, do you remember your first public performance that you consider that was a performance? Wow, I did it. You know, I I, I would say probably at my high school graduation, I, I sang at the grad ceremonies, and uh, I had written a song for that event, and so that was pretty cool and probably my first real performance. The girl I was singing with, um, she. It's kind of my embarrassing afterwards because she cut out and stopped singing. And I, I thought that she had kind of lost her nerve or whatever. And I just kind of kept going, do my thing. And someone asked me afterwards about it. I said, yeah, I think she just kind of got scared or whatever. It turned out her mic cut out. It wasn't even <laughs> anything to do with her nerve, but, but I, that was my first time kind of getting up and trying that out. And it was a good feeling. And, and uh, certainly there have been, um, more momentous times after that, but I think that kind of uh, gave me a, a glimpse of being more than a songwriter. Cause I, yeah. I really feel like I'm a songwriter at heart that out of necessity started sharing it by singing. Mm. Um, but I, but I certainly uh, have come to really value the the performance part of it for sure. Were you nervous beforehand? I mean, I'm sure you were nervous, but how nervous were you? I mean, and and generally, are you nervous to perform live? Because, I mean, live is a huge part. I, I, and I'll preface this a little bit, because what's surprised me over the years of talking to performers is there's kind of this perception that, oh, if you're a performer, you don't get nervous. I talk to so many people who are like, yeah, I'm near throwing up, then I go on stage and kill it. How, wh- yeah. how are you? <laughs> you know, I, I certainly started out nervous. Um just kind of finding my way and, and figuring out what I was going to do as an artist. I would say more recently, I, I don't, I don't get like the full fledged, like I'm super nervous kind of feeling mm. um, excited, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but it, it kind of depends on, on the, um, the setting, you know, I, for a while I was doing more kind of paid concerts and stuff uh, or ticketed concerts and those I was a little more nervous about, but you know, in some sense, one thing I was a lot of times kind of the the uh, the organizer and the promoter and everything else. And so I just was like, there's so many reasons to be nervous more than just performing. Um, but also my wife tells me, and and she's not afraid to, to say, she thinks I'm better off behind the piano than out of the front of the stage. <laughs> she's like, we got to work on those dance moves or the foot, foot patterns or whatever. So, you know, that stuff is always a little more awkward when I get back and just sit at the piano and just play and sing kind of Elton John style, I'm pretty much in my happy place. I, I don't get too, too worked up about it now. Oh, that's fantastic. So I'm assuming, I, I have no idea how old you are, but I'm assuming you went on a mission at 19, not 18. Yeah. Um, so what did you do in the year between high school and your mission? So I was born in November. So I, I graduated younger than a lot of my classmates um, had a little extra time. So I thought, well, I'm going to get going on school. And so I actually um, went through that first year and then I would have been eligible to go soon after my first year of university. And I thought, you know, I'm already kind of into the semester time. I'm just going to do two more semesters. So I, I did two years of university um, in my bachelor degree before I left on my mission. Where'd you go to school? University of Lethbridge. Mm, awesome. local college here and and it was a bachelor of science 
uh, pre-medicine. Mm. And uh, yeah, so I just, I really, I, I was eager to serve a mission. I, I was uh, always wanted to go, but I was a, a planner and I said, okay, if I do this right, I can get home after, you know, have time to get ready for another semester when I get home. So there was a bit of strategizing to, to just not add more time to my school years in the process. Love it. That's great. Uh, so then you go on a mission. Uh, tell us where you served your mission. So I opened my mission call and it, it said Salt Lake city. And I kind of thought, okay, that's, that's where the call came from. I keep searching. Like, okay. <laughs> I must've read this wrong. <laughs> I, I thought I had this feeling I was going to Japan. So I, I did definitely read it over two or three times to make sure, but I was called to the Salt Lake city mission. And at that time there was an Ogden Salt Lake and Provo mission. So I was kind of sandwiched in the middle there and uh, it was in the mid nineties and it, it was amazing. I, I loved being there. I, I guess I benefited from like, just from the experience side of it, from being definitely a, a foreign mission and a new experience, but also a lot of things that were close to home, you know, like the, the people and the culture and the food. And I, I wasn't put out on a limb too much for anything too unexpected. It was, it was a, it was a nice balance. So it's funny because living in Utah or even where I grew up in California, if you get called to Salt Lake, it's like, oh, you're going home to the mothership, you know, and yeah. it's and it's close and everything else. But for you, you were called to a foreign mission. Like Salt yeah. Lake was a foreign mission going to yeah. a completely different country. A lot of people don't know about the Salt Lake mission. And one thing that surprised me is just how incredibly high the baptism rate is in the Salt Lake City area. Did you experience yeah, that? Very much. Yeah, it was it was pretty amazing how many people were drawn to the gospel. And um, just my observation through my mission, um, certainly a lot of people were coming to Utah, moving from California and other places, coming to Utah. So they're kind of getting a new exposure to the, what the church is, what the people are all about. And that was a, a great fertile group of people. And for the most part, um, they were seeing good things and they were interested and their neighbors were making such a huge difference in that experience. You know, there was a few, it was a bit polarizing, you know, some people would come and think, man, like I'm surrounded by Mormons and they have to do things their way. And, you know, certainly there were some that were put off by living there um, because I think it really turns out to be polarizing, but but fortunately, we saw so much of the good that came of, of people having uh, neighbors that were willing to just be good Christians. And it's pretty cool. As far as the numbers go, we our mission was usually up at the top with the Arcadia, California mission for the top English baptizing missions, kind of dependent on the month. It was it was pretty, pretty busy. Did serving in Utah change your perception of the church? You know, in, in some ways, I guess, though, and, and there are actually a lot of similarities in how this church is strong here as well um, as in Utah, and there's a culture to it. And I guess the, the biggest thing that maybe my per- perception was um, expanded on was just how there's the culture part of the church, and then there's like the actual official mm-hmm. doctrinal organizational part of the church. And, and I love the cultural part of the church, too. But I, I really saw that that is a separate thing, and and we need to to recognize that culture isn't doctrine, and 
sometimes when people get rubbed the wrong way or they have a difficult experience with the church, it's because of the cultural part that's maybe held like a like a doctrine. And mm-hmm. uh, it just it just showed me, you know, because I I taught so many like teenagers who were so welcomed in by other other teenagers from the church. You know, we'd we'd have missionary discussions have like 15 friends that came to the discussion. Like they were just, they couldn't help, but feel in, you know, encircled about by support. Um, but, you know, sometimes if, if something doesn't feel like a good mix, if it's just a cultural thing, it's, it's difficult to fit in as well. And so I think it's, it's just, it's something that's become more in, um, on the topic of people's discussions these days, I think. And sure. we, we do need to acknowledge that, that culture is still just culture and and we don't want to, you know, in, accidentally turn people away because we didn't, didn't acknowledge that. Sensitive well, to that. Absolutely. Uh, you come home from your mission. What came next? Well, I, I had a girlfriend um, who wrote me all my mission. We were pretty <laughs> serious. We got to about three or four months before the end. And actually with me, I, I wasn't, sure that I was like just how I was feeling about it and and really I couldn't sort that out while I was on my mission anyway so so I kind of let her know that that I just wasn't sure what would happen when I got back and and she was at my homecoming came to the dinner and stuff after and it just um didn't feel right I think for either of us so that that was that and within about three weeks I met my wife and uh wow it was it was a, a pretty quick thing. I mean, I think uh, things were meant to happen that way, and so no no delay there. But we uh, we met after a, after an institute dance, and a friend of mine who was from there and also served in Salt Lake introduced us, and we pretty much saw each other every day after that until we were married about five months later. Is is your wife from the Alberta area? Yeah, she's from Lethbridge and was raised here and. Her, her parents are both converts to church. Her dad uh, immigrated from China when he was just a kid. Oh, wow. Uh, cool. His, his parents uh, snuck him out of communist China so he could Beautiful. start a new life. And, and so it's just uh, married into a rich uh, family with rich history in a lot of different ways. And yeah, the rest that's, is history. That's phenomenal. So from there, now you, you had started doing pre-med. Uh, before your mission, you've gone on a mission. Now you're married. What's uh, what's the plan? Yeah. So my wife said, you know, she she's told other people marry them after they're done medical school. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she she stuck with me and supported me. We we moved down. Um, it still took a little time to get to finish my degree and to get into medical school. And and at the at the time. Um, I was being pretty selective about where to apply it, which usually is not a good strategy. You know, you should apply everywhere because it's just so competitive. But I applied to Utah, University of Utah, because I thought, you know, I, I'd love to go back where my mission was and also where I can maybe do my music a bit more. Um, and then two of the schools in Alberta. And so I just applied to three schools and eventually I got in in Utah. And so I kind of was secretly praying like, okay, I really need to get into school, but maybe you could let me get into Utah and that would be where I could, you know, pursue my music and stuff as well, a little better. 
And so it worked out. I didn't get into the other two schools and I did get into Utah. So that was the one place to be. So we came down there for school. How did your wife feel about the pursuit of music while you were pursuing this medical career? Let me go get her and ask her. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I think, um, you know, the music often would fit into places that were kind of separate from the schooling. Like I, I tried not to spend a lot of time on Sundays studying and things. And so I would do my firesides and things on Sundays. And, and I think it overall has been a really positive experience. Um, there's like any artist, I'm guilty of, of spending too much time on it at times or too much focus. And, and I, I think we can all confess to that and um, plan to do better. But I think overall it was pretty balanced and and really everybody needs an outlet when you're in that high of a stress uh, program. And uh, one cool thing at medical school that kind of tied the two together, um, one of the the guys in our medical, uh, in the class that I was in, um, his grandfather was Elder Nelson Mm. and (laughs) Russell M. Nelson. And so we, he ended up arranging a fireside to have with the medical students, especially because he was a surgeon himself. And so we went to this fireside that was presented to us by Elder Nelson. And I got to do a song that I'd written as a song in the program and, and meet him and stuff. So that, that was a pretty neat way to kind of bring all the, all those good things together in one place. That is so cool. Uh, So what, while you were at, uh, the University of Utah, you're married. Did you guys, when did you guys start having kids? We actually had uh, two kids um, just before we went into medical school. Mm. And so uh, my youngest, the youngest of the two was just, you know, four or five months old when we moved down to Utah. And uh, we had one during medical school and then uh, two more after we were finished and doing residency back home. So wow, we, we well, kind of spaced them out a bit to try and work around school, but I, it wasn't all that spaced out two or three years. (laughs) (laughs) Wild times. All right. So, so you finish up your degree at the university of Utah at this point, were you thinking, you know, Hey, maybe I can kind of have the two career tracks. I can have the, the artistic side and the medical side. Was that kind of in your head? Yeah. And that had been in my head since my undergrad days. Mm. Like I really, I was kind of at a point earlier on torn about, do I go into music? Do I go into, into uh, medical? And, you know, even with music, I, I kind of do things the way that just naturally I've done them. I, I didn't see myself as much as a you know, music major, you know, the technical side of things as much, but just, you know, as far as just getting out and putting my music out there. Um, so I've, I've always kind of had that in mind that I would do that. Medical school just demanded a lot of me, and I just, you know, could only do a, a little bit of the music. But um, I figured once I get in my own practice, I, I have a little more say on how, how I do things with my schedule and stuff. And you know, I've, I've certainly kept to that plan ever since. Sure. So you get back to Lethbridge. Uh, did you start working at another practice, or did you launch in your own practice right away? Yeah. So once. Once, uh, you know, we go through residency as well after medical school. And I did that through the University of Calgary uh, here back in Canada. And then once I started practice, there was a group that I, 
I had seen uh, one of the doctors there as as a patient before and knew knew him. And actually, they happened to be a group of LDS doctors. There's no reason they had to be, but it it was that way. And so I knew a lot of them personally, and I just felt like a good fit. So I jumped in on that clinic right from the start um, with a group of about six doctors, and I've been there 15 years now. Just Amazing. this last just this last month. So it's uh, it it I've been fortunate to land in places that already feel like it's a it's a place to stay you know like um i haven't had to feel unsettled and move a lot i i've just i've got back home and i got into good practice and i and i've just uh made the music work as i've gone along so we now know about your medical career now we got to jump into this amazing music side and before uh we jump into some of the highlights of your music career um, I want I want to ask the question because you put it out there, uh, much much like our mutual friend Garth Smith, that you are a Latter Day Saint musical artist. Uh, you know everything you you have it at least in all the materials I have, and maybe there's another side to you that I'm not aware of. But you put it out there. Was there was that intentional? Did it happen over time? And what was the impetus behind? sort of being, you know, less of a general music, uh, musical artist and mm-hmm. more of a Latter-day Saint artist. Yeah. You know, there's different, different approaches to that. And, you know, even from the musical um, artist identity perspective, you could say, well, be a bigger fish in a smaller ocean kind of thing. I mean, you, you could look at it that way and maybe that's how it's turned out, but I, I, I really was just chasing my heart. You know, I, mm. In, in my teenage years, I was writing a lot of love songs and, and, you know, that, that really uh, was right at the time. Um, but when I wrote my first church song, you know, I was inspired to do it because of this mission farewell and that kind of got me started. But once I did that, I thought, man, that, you know, it just, it's another way to just bring the spirit in so strongly. And, and so it just very quickly became the predominant part of what I do with my music. It's not the only part, but, um, you know, this was just shy of me leaving on my mission. And so uh, then I'm on my mission and, you know, they, they talk about like, you know, learn, learn to play piano. Cause you never know where you'll be called on your mission. Right. <laughs> right. I go to Utah where everybody can play <laughs> piano. So like yeah. nobody needed me for those reasons, but, uh, but still, you know, it, it wasn't hard to find a piano on a P day and uh, I would just start writing music. So I wrote a lot of songs, um, that even ended up on my first album that I wrote on P days, you know, and wrote for people's baptisms. And, and so I guess right after I got started writing my first church song, I was a missionary for two years. So like, what other choice did I have? Right. I just got to experience (laughs) um, so much of the good that comes out of doing music that, that honors the saviors. So I, I just, you know, that really got me in both feet. How quickly did you start working on your first album or did you know, I guess, how quickly did you know, Hey, I'm making an album. You know, I was, I, like I said, I was married fairly soon after I got home from my mission and it was within about a year after that, that I, I was really toying with the idea. And, you know, I had different people that were saying, you, you really should record. And, you know, people that tell you that they, they have no concept of what's involved. They're just, 
supportive and encouraging and love your music or whatever. And so I, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to do this and, and uh, kind of just took it as a, I'm going to figure this out as I go kind of thing. And so my first album closer to heaven uh, came out in, in 98. So way back a long time ago. Um, but, uh, but really learning experience and an artistic uh, thing that just from where I had started, it was a big accomplishment. And, and that kind of got me started and, and I've never felt a need to put it down ever since. <laughs> Having spent a little bit of time around, uh, film and recording and music uh, a little bit myself. Talk about how different it is making an album in 1998 versus in 2021 with the oh, tools. Wow. <laughs> wow. You know, and, and they were using digital back then, but it was kind of a hybrid. You know, they'd have some things that were analog, some that were digital. digital they'd be working tape. on it, wasn't just yeah, like the memory. DAT. Yeah, DAT. Yeah. Yeah. DATs, and, and they'd have so many tracks on each tape. And mm-hmm. boy, you know, doing the edits you'd have to be like lightning on the the buttons <laughs> to punch in and punch out and all this stuff you know it, it certainly proved these engineers um their skills and and just a pretty drawn out process that uh a lot of extra technical work that you wouldn't have to do now um yeah. nowadays with pro tools and everything else i mean even my latest projects i've done my vocals and everything in my home studio here in Canada sent them down you know I I oversaw a recording session in Nashville for one of the songs we recorded and I was live kind of following on that have my input there was a choir singing the vocals Deborah Bonner's choir in in Utah singing the vocals wow at, at, a, at a later time kind of thing yeah and then getting it mixed like you can do so many things from a distance and I think in a perfect world do them all in person because the experience is just, you know, you, you got to have that fun doing it. But when, when it necessitates it, you can pull off a lot of stuff from a distance and with digital um, tools that we have now. It's pretty amazing. What, what a blessing. And I will say seeing Deborah Bonner's choir in person, I've, I've gotten to see them a couple of times. That's pretty phenomenal. The fact that they were working with you. I mean, you've gotten to work with a lot of really, really cool artists and uh, yeah, hear yeah. About some of the, the people that you've worked with that have been cool experiences. Yeah. I, I was thinking about this actually, before we got on our interview, just some things I might want to share. And, and um, it, it's been really neat to be working with people that I'm huge fans of. And, and to be able to work side by side and collaborate with them as I've kind of come along in my career. Um, I mentioned Deborah Bonner. Um, we, uh, Tyler Castleton and I, and I've, I've been a fan of Tyler's too, but we've, we've written together for years now and worked on projects. We just did an album recently, this past conference, which is called By the Voice of My Servants, Volume 2. And it's mm. all songs inspired by quotes from General Conference. Oh, and wow. so... Uh, so we had one song called It's Our Turn, which we wrote that's an upbeat song about women in the church right now. And uh, so some women from Deborah Bonner's choir did the vocal for it and just killed it. I mean, they got soul pouring out over every every place with, the, with that choir. That was beautiful. So that, that was pretty cool. By the um, way, for our listeners, if you want to hear more about the Bonner family, uh, you can go back through our archive we had Yahosh Bonner on the show, and and uh, 
he gave the background on his family and their choir. And Yahosh is a an amazing guy, and they're incredible family. Yeah, I've worked with Yahosh. He's come on my projects with me before as well. And uh, maybe one other highlight to tell you about: um, I've always been a Kenneth Cope fan. Oh yeah, um, and really, he was a huge influence in my early years and, and ever since uh, with my church music. And and you know, eventually, I was friends with Kenneth, and you know, doing a lot of similar things as as him and. And, and at that point I thought, you know, I've, I've got to try and get him on one of my albums with me. And, uh, and so I, I tried for like two or three albums. Like I'd say, Hey, I'm working on a new project. I'd love to have you come on. And just for one reason or another, it didn't work out. And, and, uh, I just kept on pestering him. <laughs> and so eventually, um, I have an out Christmas album called come let us adore him. And, uh, finally he conceded and, I have a song called Holy Child and he sang that on the album. And I'll tell you, you know, I got the mix back from the studio and, and I just sat there and I just really was overcome. I just thought like the experience of, of a song that means so much to me and having Kenneth sing it and just kind of collaborating that way, just really a special experience. And, and one of the ones I'll definitely cherish on my list of things that I've done <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a big one. Kenneth Cope is amazing. So yeah, very very cool. Great you, guy. You you know there are a lot of artists who are Latter Day Saints who do Latter Day Saint theme music or more you know uh, Christian type of music, uh, and I guess kind of the pinnacle is to be become one of those names like Kenneth Cope. You know, and mm-hmm. what was it like when you first found out you were going into Deseret Book, which is kind of the you know, for a Latter-day Saint yeah. audience, you know, Deseret Book is the pinnacle. Like, that's a big deal. Yeah, I, that that was pretty cool. The first time I had my music in Deseret Book and and uh, Seagull and those places, you know, I, and again, I don't live in Utah or where most of those stores are, but first chance I got when I was down there, I'd go in the store and head to the music section, look if I could find my music there. And, you know, my wife would be okay. That's, pretty cool but then you know we'd be in a different place shopping i say well there's another store let's go there and see if it's on those shelves <laughs> you know it's just something i had to experience and pretty pretty cool stuff what do you prefer performing live or recording performing live yeah. uh, i i and, and as far as recording i mean it i love what comes out as the finished product uh, you know getting everything put in the right place that's once it's in my hands as a finished product, that's kind of where, where it comes together. I love that, but probably my most uh, favorite part would be performing. And, and really, um, like I mentioned, you know, I've done different kinds of shows. I used to have kind of a circuit of Christmas concerts. I would do like Las Vegas and and Oakland and Utah and Alberta. And, you know, I, those were awesome. And, but I, I think, my my place has really started to land in 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 chapels you know um when i go to do a youth conference or do a um a multi-stake women's conference or things like that where i do love the intimacy of just a, a conversation with those people sitting there where i can can share what's on my heart and share the songs and so maybe i maybe i love having the 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 spotlight for for that reason where I can, can share those things and, and just, you know, express myself that way. Um, but it's, it's just so, so much more powerful. You know, those are the times where this, sometimes I 
get hung up in a song because I get choked up and, and, you know, I just, sometimes my heart's on my sleeve and, and those are the moments where that comes out. And when I leave for the end of the night, I think, wow, that was, that was an experience. You know, mm. I, I, I long for those and COVID hasn't helped that. <laughs> I, well, I was going to get to that actually. I was going to ask what, what it's been like. I mean, you were a big part of what you do is firesides and, and uh, different types yeah. of church events, youth conferences. And yeah. And then all of a sudden, boom, global pandemic. I mean, did that just hit you like a ton of bricks? Yeah. And, and I had, a I had a lot of events like already on this, the calendar when things hit, you know, my, my April, 2020 was going to be really busy and successful, but, but it had to get canceled. You know, Canada border with the U S has been closed in some form, ever since the pandemic started, like we literally can't drive to Utah yet with yeah. our family, but, but, you know, and, and it has been disappointing that way, but there've been some pretty neat doors that have opened as well. And ones that just wouldn't have happened. Like I, I did, uh, I've done some online events and did one mm. for a group in Germany and did one for a mission in Korea. And then I did a fireside for, the members of the church in Japan, which Sapporo, uh, one of those stakes hosted it, but they actually broadcast it with all the, all the stakes in Japan. And, wow. and so it, it, and because it was, it would have been about three in the morning, my time, <laughs> um, we pre-recorded it. So it just would have been a pretty rough uh, to put on at that time of night. Um, but it, it just, you know, that stuff couldn't have happened in other ways. You know, and I'm not going to get to every country in the world. And so just the, the opportunities to to reach out and, and work with people around the world more than I have in the past has been pretty neat. That is so cool. When you're doing firesides, is it a mix of music and talking? Is it pr- pretty much all music? What uh, Tell us what a fireside with, with Wayne Burton would look like. Yeah, I mean, I've got a few different ways that it goes, but typically it's a mix of, of talking and, and singing. And and I, I usually have a theme or a message that, that it's based around. And now I've got nine solo albums. I have a lot of material to choose from, If I'm even if I'm going in on one theme, um, one topic. Uh, but I, I just love to kind of open and give a little bit of background and talk about the, the message that we're going to focus on that night. And it's always about Christ, but sometimes it's about different aspects of our lives as disciples of Christ. Um, and I, I like to speak from the piano. So it's not long before I get away from the pulpit and sit in my comfort zone. And, you know, I can sit there and talk at the piano and, and sing at the piano. And, and I do like, I've always liked to have to collaborate. And so I, I often will arrange ahead of time to have a singer or two or a little youth choir or something that's from that stake or whatever that will, will arrange for them to be part of the program as well. So it's not just me. And uh, it's, it's just fun to rub shoulders. And, you know, that's really been cool because we, we end up having connections ever after, you know, the one girl that sang, I was out at Halifax on the East coast, Nova Scotia doing an event out there. And this girl who I had never met, it was arranged for her to sing with me and, she did a great job and, you know, we've kept in touch and now she's a missionary serving in Alberta, and, you know, uh, serving in my, my city. And so wow, it's just, it's, cool. it's neat, neat to just 
network and make more friends along the way. It's beautiful. Well, I'll look forward to when things open up again so I can uh, come see you. One of the things that uh, we discovered uh, for our audience is that uh, that Wayne's brother, while Wayne lives in Alberta, Wayne's brother lives literally one street over from me and we're in the same ward. So, <laughs> so I'm sure we'll cross paths Crazy. at some point. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Um, so I guess the big question is what's next? What is the, what is next on the music horizon for what's you? next? Maybe I could tell you what's just happened because that's still pretty fresh. That would and be then awesome. What's next? Is that okay? Yeah, let's do it. I, even with COVID kind of locking down a lot of what I would do, the, the recording bug was going strong. And so I actually released two albums in the last about nine months. Wow. Um, and in November, I released an album called Melodies. And each of my albums has, tends to have a, a couple songs that are instrumental, kind of in there around all the vocal songs. And so I decided to release an instrumental album and I, I had all the songs from the different collection of albums that are instrumental, pulled those off and then wrote a bunch of new ones. Um, Did one with William Joseph that we wrote together and just some different ones. And, and so it's a 25 song album and uh, released that in November. So hope people can check that out. And, and I thought, you know, not everybody wants to listen to a church song and, you know, my music does have upbeat, just positive stuff too. So there's something for everybody, but sometimes people just want something that's background or, inspirational just from a musical perspective and so that's what that one's going to reach out and reach more people maybe than just the ones that get my other albums and then in april um and again i should put a shout out for tyler castleton uh, great songwriter producer he's been in the business for a long time um he and i have worked on albums uh, promoting the messages of general conference and the first album was called by the voice of my servants and this last one in April is called Hear Him by the Voice of My Servants, Volume 2. Oh, and so we we did a song called Hear Him, uh, inspired, of course, by President Nelson's words. And Yefet Bustos, who is with uh, Vocal Point, did the vocal mm. on that song. This album is full of, obviously, messages from different general authorities and church leaders, but also everyone is a different artist. So it's a multi-artist LDS album. And... Uh, and that's why we had the Bonner Choir on there, and, and I was one of the artists. And so Hear Him by the Voice of My Servants, Volume 2, came out a couple of days before conference, just this past April. And I've just been excited about that. I've been uh, regularly on Instagram and Facebook, just sharing my own renditions of the songs from my living room and, and just talking about some of the messages. Because, I mean, these are messages for our time. Like, there's there's a reason why the apostles and the prophet have have chosen what they've chosen and the things that resonate with our hearts. I mean, we just want to make them last maybe a little longer or in a little different way through having songs in people's homes. So I'm excited about that. I'm still very much in the, the mode of uh, sharing that and kind of uh, getting that out to the world. So that's recent history. <laughs> I think it's so cool to take the word. I mean, we have words of ancient prophets uh, set to music. I mean, there, our hymn book is filled with verses from, yeah. you know, the Old and New Testament, and and to to take modern prophets. Why not? Why wouldn't we take that and put it to music? That is just awesome, Wayne. I yeah, think that's it's really pretty exciting. Cool. Yeah, very cool. All right, as far as what's, what's next? next, you know, I guess what's next on the near future. I 
I write a song every year for the youth theme of the church. Right, right. And, and I'll just give the disclaimer, it's not the official song that was commissioned by the church, but, you know, they released what the theme is, and a lot of different artists write a song uh, for that purpose. And so I do that every year, and and we're coming up here in the next month or so where I'm going to going to know what the theme is and get writing. And, and, and that's a lot of work each year for me because I actually, it's gone pretty international. Like I, I, this last one, 2021 song, um, a great work, it's gone out in 11 languages. And so it takes a lot of work to get translations and, and I don't sing those, I get other singers, but you know, they're around the world and stuff. And so it's a lot of work. And so I'm, kind of going to be embarking on that again in the next month or so, kind of with whatever the new song is. I, uh, I actually got to speak at a youth conference uh, where the theme was a great work and they used your, your version of a great work oh, yeah. uh, as, <laughs> as part of the opening. So it, to a certain extent, we've spoken together. So <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> just to a certain extent. Well, that's really exciting. And then, Again, hopefully, you know, we're all fasting and praying for, uh, you know, the pandemic to wind its way down and hopefully some borders mm-hmm. will come down and we'll get to see it perform. The, the, now I know all of our listeners are chomping at the bit. What is the best way for them to find you, to find your music and, and everything else? Well, I'm definitely online. Um, WayneBurton.com is an easy place to just remember my name and go there. Um, for Facebook people, Wayne Burton Music is the handle Instagram Wayne Burton music, Twitter, Wayne Burton info. And, um, I put a lot of my music on, on, um, on YouTube as well, like with the youth songs and stuff. But really one thing I would love to do as an artist, I, I, I still do albums, you know, some people just release individual songs now, or sometimes EPs. And I put a lot of work into doing a full album of just a lot of music. I would love for people to hear. And so, some people know like, you know, one or two of the songs that's really got out there a lot from, from the album. And I just hope that you'll, you'll take a listen, even on like Apple music or Spotify, download the whole album because there, there's so much more to, to experience than the one or two songs that, that maybe you'd, you'd heard already. So I, I hope you'll find me and, and, and experience those other heartfelt uh, messages that we put out there that maybe aren't as well known. I just love what you do, Wayne. It's so wonderful, and I love that you're using your talents to uh, build the kingdom. We're going to wrap things up with a question that we ask all of our guests, and that is, Wayne, what does being a member of the church mean to you? Great question. Being a member of the church is really everything to me. Like it's it's all sides of who Wayne Burton is, and and like I said, I was raised in the church from the start, and and I've always had a testimony to some degree. It it's grown, it's flourished, but but it's always been a part of me. And and I wouldn't be the person that I am. I wouldn't have the family that I do. I wouldn't understand the bigger things about life if it wasn't for being a member of the church. So it means a lot to me. And I know that in different ways, I take it for granted, like we all do and uh, try not to, but it, it means everything to me. And, and I, you know, I'm grateful for the savior. He has been a guiding light and a strength in my life as long as I can remember. And, and 
I was introduced to him through through being a member of the church and through my family, my parents raising me that way. And so I'm grateful for that. He is a husband, a father, a doctor. He is a singer, songwriter, musician, and all-around amazing guy, Wayne Burton. Thank you so much for sharing your Latter-day Life with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Glad to be with you. And my special thanks to my new friend and guest, Wayne Burton. I so enjoyed getting to know Wayne. He is such a nice and down-to-earth, just good guy, and so remarkably talented. If you're not already a mega fan, which you probably are, go check out Wayne's music. It is just incredible. Thank you, Wayne. Uh, This week in my Latter-day life was stressful and exciting and ultimately really rewarding. This weekend was our state conference, and I've been really excited about state conference. It's one of the blessings of uh, working on high council as I get to see a little more of what's going on with the stake and get to work closely with our stake presidency, who are all just incredible people, just amazing men we have serving. And maybe six weeks ago or so, uh, our stake president came to me and said, hey, uh, we have, you know, this Area 70 who's coming. Uh, We'd like to do a special session with the YSAs, the morning of state conference being this morning, Sunday morning. He said, we'd like to do that at 8 a.m. And immediately alarm bells went off in my head. And I went, oh, no, (laughs) you want... You want young single adults to show up at the stake center in dresses and ties and everything at 8 a.m. on a Sunday? Oh, no. And this was just going to be for our stake. Now, I don't work in a YSA stake. I work in a regular stake with the YSAs who live here within our boundaries. And there aren't a ton and definitely not a ton who are super active. One of our struggles is getting to know our YSAs whose records are still here. And of course, we have these incredible couples assigned to each ward to work with the YSAs. But hey, they wanted to do this this meeting this morning. We're going to do a meeting. That's what I was asked to do. So we went to work and I started reaching out to all of the YSA couples. And we have these great, uh, we have a great stake YSA couple as well. And together, we just started reaching out, and we made up an invitation. We decided we were going to turn it into sort of a breakfast and do, you know, muffins and orange juice and stuff. And and at first, as we talked to the couples, they had some of the same fears, I guess, that I had. Like, well, wait a minute. You really think we're going to get that many people there? And And they said, we'll do our best, but gosh, we have a hard time getting any of them to call us back or text us. But they went to work, and I challenged them to be prayerful and thoughtful about it. I ended up fasting a couple of weeks ago, just that this meeting would be a success, but I started to get really worried. The the young single adult couples were telling me, hey, we're not getting much of a response. I'm not sure who's actually going to be there. I'm not sure if anyone's going to be there. And here I am thinking we're putting together this big meeting and, you know, there's going to be an Area 70. What if nobody shows up? And I went back to our stake president and said, what if we only have five people? And I love our stake president, such an amazing, inspired man. 
And he said, Sean, those five people will have the most wonderful experience. And what a blessing for us to get to spend time with those five people. And there was something so reassuring about that and remembering that it is the 99 and the one and that there is value in that. Well, we did kind of a full court press this last week. And uh, I talked to each of the couples individually. I called one member of each of the, the ward couples. And the miracles that happened were so incredible as they were telling me about how they were finding YSAs that they had never been able to connect with and how they had meaningful conversations that will go so far beyond this one meeting. And it was just beautiful. And so this morning, my wife and I got up super early and went down to set everything up. And sure enough, here come the YSAs, and there were five of them, and then 10 and 15 and 20, and we ended up having about 25 YSAs who showed up to sit and listen to this Area 70 and this wonderful Area 70 and his wife and our entire stake presidency led this meeting where they did open question and answer, and they had true dialogue with these these special young single adults. And then after the meeting, they came in and everybody grabbed muffins and orange juice and stood around talking and just spending time together. The meeting was a smashing success. And it didn't matter that there were 25 and not 200 or 25 and not 5. The point is we did it. But the bigger point is that all of our YSA couples have new relationships. They have deeper bonds with their YSAs out there. There were blessings that I would have never even expected. And it was a lot of work putting this all together, but I learned so many lessons about building the kingdom and service. And even at eight o'clock in the morning, we can get YSAs there. This gospel of Jesus Christ must be true. What a blessing it is to serve in this kingdom. I am humbled and blessed and so grateful for the opportunity to serve and to get to rub shoulders with such incredible people here doing God's work. And I... I think at some point I will learn the lesson to stop doubting. God has this. He is a God of miracles. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in again. We really appreciate it. Again, if you know anyone who would be a great guest, if you'd let us know, you can email that to guest at latterdaylives.com or hit us up on social media. I'll tell you, nothing helps us more, though, than those reviews. If you get a chance, you could leave us a five-star review anywhere would be wonderful, but especially on Apple Podcasts, as that drives the majority uh, of our listenership. That would just be awesome. The Latter-day Lives podcast uh, was produced by Gene Chittister, social media by Skylar Fleming. I've been your host, Sean Rapier, and I think that's about all we've got for you this week. So until we meet again, there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.